while the people were <clears throat> shouting Hosanna, I think in the in the eyes of Christ, he's probably a little bit frustrated because they just don't get it. And today, the scripture we're looking at in Mark chapter 4, that's the day everything changed. You remember, he's had kind of, Jesus had kind of a, a rugged couple of days. You remember his family come to get him because they thought he was crazy. The scribes and the Pharisees said he was doing his miracles by the power of the devil. You remember? Still dealing with that same time frame. Scripture tells us in Mark that, uh, in verse 1 it says, And again he began to teach by the sea. He went back down there. And he he always got a crowd. He always got a crowd. You know, I don't know all the names of the people that do statistics. Kathy's uh, dad used to tell me, statistics are for people who want to (laughs) lie. Because you ever get in an argument with somebody and they say, well, statistically speaking, at least 97.6% of people, whatever. If I spend enough time online, I can find a different statistic. Anyways, these guys come up with a statistic. Still, the number one drawer of crowds is church. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million people a week go to church. But in that same group of people who said they went to church, 20 million said they believed that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior and would consider themselves born again. That's a mind-boggling idea. By those statistics, half of us are not for real. That's scary. And we think about that, and, 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 and I'm sure not you guys, I'm sure it's other churches. Our church doesn't have that problem. But, <laughs> but um, that was the same thing Jesus faced, right? He would teach, share these incredible things, just mind-blowing things Jesus taught. But everybody wanted healed from their temporal problems, right? Yeah, Lord, I get that, but I got this pain. Can you make it go away? Lord, it sounds good, but I can't see you. Will you give me sight? And Jesus did those things for the people. But the problem was, that was all they ever wanted. Was the things. Well, there's a group of guys, all right? I mean, we know last time we saw Jesus stayed up all night long, prayed all night long to choose 12 guys, right? 12 guys to be his disciples to follow him. And one of them's going to kiss him. And betray him. Mind blowing. 
you walk with Jesus for three years and you can do that? Stood there and saw all that stuff. Heard the words and the explanations. So when I think of Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is a sad day for me. Because that's the day everybody was on board. You're our guy, Jesus. And the next day was the day everybody forgot. And when I consider that, it always challenges me. Paul tells us in the scripture, he says, Make your election sure. Paul tells us to make sure that we seek the Lord and confirm that we indeed are His followers. And his disciples. He says consider yourself. Whether or not you are indeed. For real. And when I think of Palm Sunday man. That's mind blowing. That idea. But again Jesus goes down to the sea. And look what the scripture tells us. And a great multitude was gathered to him. So a lot of people came. When the Bible uses that language, and a great multitude, it actually means, and a great multitude, a lot of people. A lot of people came out. In fact, so many people, there wasn't enough room for him on the beach. You ever been to the beach and there's been so many people, there's not enough room for you on the beach? So I just want you to get a mental picture of how many people we're talking about. Now, if you go down to the beach, California, in the summertime, and you walk out there, there will be a lot of people. And you might have a hard time finding a good spot to put a towel, but you can fit on the beach. But Jesus goes down there to teach. He can't even, he don't even fit. There's too many people. They're crowding too much. So he gets in a boat. That's what the scripture tells us. It says that he got into a boat and he, and he sat in this boat in the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing him. They're all looking at him. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them, in teaching, that's the big change. He started talking to the people in parables. When, it wasn't uncommon for rabbis to teach with parables. It's not uncommon for people to use parables. We still use parables today. Parables are, are something that the Greek word literally, literally means to cast alongside. It's an illustration that you can understand the picture of, right? If I paint this picture of an illustration to help you understand a deeper spiritual truth. But parables do something else. And that's why Jesus specifically, I think, begins to use parables he begins to use parables because well the crowd didn't judge parables parables judged the crowd see when jesus would would lay it out the careless listener who's who's thinking I, you know i i get this i i know everything i'm good the parable would just bounce off him Go off to somebody else. 
But the other guy, the sincere listener who's there, who, who is wondering what is the deep truth of this parable, where did he find the answer? He stayed right by Jesus. Jesus chose 12 disciples. We know that, right? But how many hung around him? At least 120. 120 that would call themselves disciples, that would be close to Jesus. Now maybe they weren't right next to him like some of the disciples, but they're close enough that when Jesus begins to explain the parables, they can hear. The key to understanding that word of God, the key to understanding parables, the key to understanding God's touch in your life is to learn that lesson. you got to be as close to Jesus as you can be. And then he will give you eyes to see and ears to see to hear he will explain and express to you what he's doing but if you're like the crowd and all we can focus on is what I don't have and what I want and what I wish God would do for me but I don't understand why he hasn't done it and we'll get caught in that funk and we'll stay in that funk and I don't know where we are I don't know if we're committed because your treasure is whatever you're looking for, for Jesus to give you that you don't have. Instead of your treasure being the only true treasure in all the world, and that is Jesus Christ. If the treasure is anything else, that's a scary place to be. Sometimes it could be a good thing, right? I could want something that's really good. I could want... To be on the mission field. I could want to start my own church. I could want to put together a band that's, that's going to, you know, do music that brings people to, to praise God. I could want all those things. But if those things are my treasure, I'm out of balance. The treasure has to be the man sitting in the boat telling you the story that has a moral issue that he's speaking into your life there's a reason but if my desires close my ears well that's why Jesus told this parable scripture tells us in Mark that Jesus taught many things this is not the only parable he taught but it's the only one Mark's going to tell us remember Mark is coming from the point of view of a servant he's got a point he's moving in that direction Jesus taught a lot of things if you want to see all the things he taught Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8 kind of give us a broader picture of all the different things that he taught and we'll look at some of those as we work our way through but the reason Mark chose this one the reason Mark chose this one what he said when he said if you don't understand this parable How will you understand all the parables? That's kind of a strange thing to say. Because Jesus is very clearly going to tell us what this parable means, right? We don't have to wonder. But if we want to understand the parables as we move forward, then he lays some symbolic significance on the explanation of this one. So that we can grasp the meaning of the, of the parables as we work our way through. Well, let's take a look at it. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. 
And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a mind. When Jesus says that, that's one of the things I love when I, when I go through the book of Revelation because then chapter two and three, when we're looking at the seven letters to the seven churches, every single Thing Jesus says, he ends it with, let him who has ears hear. Now, how many of you got ears? But just because you got ears, does it mean you'll listen? So Jesus says, let him who has ears. If you want to know, you can know. But if you're looking for some magic wizard to land on your shoulder and hit you on the head with a wand and give you understanding... Well, that don't happen. You got to press into Christ. You got to press in your relationship to Jesus. You got to be close with the disciples. You got to be in his presence. And he'll open up our understanding so that we can know. Remember, I'm leaping ahead in several chapters. There's going to come a time when Jesus says, you know, it's for your benefit that I go away. Why did he say that? Can you imagine a world in which it would be better if Jesus wasn't right beside you? Standing there physically? In what reality would that be better? In the reality that you live in currently. He said, it's good that I go. Because when I go, I'm going to send a helper the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into truth who's going to open your eyes to understanding that means that when I have a relationship with Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit enters into my life then I get open to his word and I can sit down and I can ask him to show me I can't be lazy and I can't be in a rush and I can't be in a hurry I got to sit down and allow him to do his work and he'll show me he'll guide me He'll open up the scriptures to me. Just think about it. Jesus is the word of God, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Finished, done, kaputs. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. It's what the Bible dictates. So God the word, which is God's ultimate communication to his creation. His every fiber in his being wants the people who are listening to understand and to know. So he says, let him who has ears hear. The reason the parable judges the people is the people who want to know will come and the people who don't will leave. James says it another way, let's not be hearers only, but doers also. 
You know, the word for obedience is an interesting word. All obedience means is the word huper, which means super, put in front of the word hearing. It means super hearing. means listening to the point of not just hearing the words, but then doing, making them a part of who you are. So how are we going to understand this parable? How are we going to grasp it? Well, in a moment, Jesus is going to tell us what's going on. But here's what we see. Here's the question that's going on. Remember the background. People are rejecting the plain word of Jesus Christ. He healed the guy in, in their sight, right, from demon possession, and they said he did it by the devil. He's given them every indication possible of who he is by what he's done and what he's said. And they said he's the devil. And the question is, why then? Why, when good doctrine is poured out, doctrine's just a word for teaching. When the true teaching goes out, why doesn't it have the same effect on everybody? How come some people just bounces off? And that's why Jesus told this parable. There's nothing wrong with the teaching. There's nothing wrong with the word. The word of God is not broken. It works just fine. And so Jesus told a story that they might come to understand. You see, the nature of the response of the heart that receives the word of God, the nature of that response is dictated by the nature of the heart. You're going to respond based on your heart. A sower went out to sow. And he's sowing on the hearts of everyone who has an ear to hear. It's a lot of people, right? Sometimes people want to come to this and they look at this parable and I think they err. Um, They come to it and they say, well... The sowers are people, and the reason there's not this good harvest is because they're, hard, they're just throwing seed everywhere. I mean, who really throws seed on the road? Nobody throws seed on the road. Why would you throw seed on the road? That seed costs money. Don't throw it on the road. Huh. Just one problem. Uh, the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 5, God speaking through the prophet says this, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. What's God saying? Throw the seed everywhere. When they stand before me, when every man, woman, and child is going to stand before God, and when they stand before God, they're not going to be able to say, nobody ever threw seed my way. I lived my whole life on the road. And, you know, nobody sows seed on the road. And the Lord's going to say, oh, no, man, you know a prophet was with you. The seed came. It just bounced off. But it hit you. Every mouth will be stopped. Every mouth will be stopped before Almighty God that day. His judgment will be right and perfect. On the day He judges the hearts of men. But we don't need to have our hearts judged if we will judge our heart. 
Or we can just keep telling the lie to ourselves. I did my part, man. I went to church. I heard the seed got cast. Where did the seed land? Look at verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. I want you to hear that phrase. Is he just with the twelve? No, those around him. Who are those around him? Who are those people? Could the guy in the nosebleed section have been one of the guys around him? All he's got to do is come down. The guy that was so busy, got a lot of stuff going on. He's got to get to work. He's got, things are happening, man. I got to pay bills. Could he have been one of those guys? He could have been. Or he could have just been a little too busy to find out. And the seed just bounces off. It says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Listen to what he said. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. A guy could spend the rest of his life studying that phrase. And never plumb the depths. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, is a, that's a mind-blowing concept throughout the scripture. When did the king, kingdom of God begin? Jesus said the kingdom is near, the kingdom is here, the kingdom's around you. But when he's asked, are you the king? Just like the video said, his response means, I'm not that kind. If my kingdom was here, my guys would fight. It's not here now. It's coming. But he left a seed of the kingdom behind. And to every one of those seeds that bears fruit, they have the opportunity to produce what? More seed. And more seed. That if we are doing what Jesus has asked us to do, that that will be getting scattered. But let's look. He says, To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Who's outside? He's not only talking to the twelve. Who's outside? Whoever wants to be outside. Do you have to be outside? Do you got to be wallowing in your sin and saying, I love my sin more than I love God? You don't got to do that. And when you stand before God on judgment day, You can proudly exclaim how great your sin was. Man, it was really cool. I I got to be my own person, do my own things, my own way. Uh, You know, I, 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 I did it my way. Well done. But you're not going to be one of the sons. Can't love all that stuff, man. You, you remember the crazy things Jesus said, right? Unless you hate mother and father, children, wife, sister, brother, every re- earthly relationship, you are not fit to be my disciple. It's kind of crazy thing, right? To, that's wild. Do you guys remember what I told you what, what, that love and hate is a Hebrew idiom? For choose. Now think about it. Is it possible to choose 
your family over God? Is it possible to choose a good thing over God? Is it possible to choose um, church over God? If that's what you're going to live for, He calls us to forsake all, to lay it all down, put it all down and pick up one thing, right? One treasure. What did the psalmist say? One thing do I seek. One thing. I want one thing. You. When God stood before Moses and the children of Israel were being knuckleheads, none of us are like that, right? We, none of us ever fall into knuckleheadedness. So, so not us, but people like us. The, Moses had all these guys together and, and they're being knuckleheads. And God comes to him one day and he says to him, Look, okay, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to take care of all your problems. I'm going to wipe out everything you want. I'm going to take care of all the enemies before you. Wherever you put the sole of your foot, it's yours. It's all yours. Just go get it. Uh, but I'm not going with you. And the people mourned and cried and fasted and stood before God and said, If you don't go, we don't go. And you got to ask yourself, if God gave me that offer, and He said, you're going to have heaven and all the people that you ever loved in your life are going to be with you. And everything you've ever lacked, and everything you ever wanted, it's all, you can have it all. But I'm not going. If you take that deal, Jesus is not your treasure. Something else is your God. That's the test of a man's heart. He says, to you it has been chosen to let you know, to let you know. Those who are outside, they don't have to be outside. Anybody can be inside. All you got to do is come. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, whosoever will can come. Didn't he? Yeah, nobody's out unless they want to be out. Come on, come inside, come, be a part. But he says, to those who are outside... I'll only speak in parables. And look what he says in verse 12. So that seeing, they may see and not perceive. What's that mean? They see it, but they don't get it. And hearing, they may hear and not understand. Same thing. I hear it, but I don't get it. Lest they would turn and their sins be forgiven. That's mind-boggling idea. See, verse 12 indicates that the words of Jesus had already been rejected. He's quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. If you want to take a look there, Isaiah 6, um, 9, and 10 says this. Well, you remember, it's when Isaiah, it says, it, it begins within the year that King Uzziah died. Really good king who, who, who thought he was more important than God and found out he wasn't. And, and got sick and finally he dies. And all the people up until that time, they couldn't see God because all they could see was Uzziah. He was this great king. But in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And then he's in that place and he realizes, you guys know the story, right? Isaiah realizes, oh man, I'm a sinner. I'm standing before God. There's nothing like standing before God to show you your need for a savior, right? Standing before God, I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and so the angel goes and from the altar, he takes the tongs and he grabs a coal and he comes over and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. And he says, your sins are purged. 
And then God is speaking. And he says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send to this disobedient and contrary people? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Well, in verse 6 of Isaiah, or in verse 9 of Isaiah 6, this is God's response to him. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. He's still throwing the seed, but the parable judges the heart. I don't really want to know. i just wondering when this is over. i got places to go. Things to do. So, God uses the parable to judge the heart. Look at Matthew chapter 13. We get, we get a little more insight from Matthew. Dealing with this exact same time. Everything's the same. Uh, but he gives us a little more information. In Matthew 13 verse 12. It says, For whoever has to him will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to these people in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which we just read. But he looks at his disciples and he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So Jesus is telling us in Matthew, he's saying, Look, the ones who had, I'm taking away what they had, and I'm giving it to you, the ones who want to hear. The ones who want to know. The ones who want what it is that he is offering. In essence, Jesus is saying, the condition of your heart determines whether or not you'll receive the seed. The condition of your heart will determine it. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, verse 33, we won't get there today, but we will eventually. It says, And with many such parables he spoke a word to them as they were able to hear it, but without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to who? His disciples. Was that only the twelve? Nope. Anybody who wanted to be there. If they wanted to be there, they could hear. You guys know that on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered in the upper room, there was 120 of them there, right? Not just twelve. Lots of guys were there wanting to experience all that Jesus Christ had to offer them. In order to understand the parables, in order to let the parables sink in, you had to be willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is that different today? You ever try to explain the word of God to somebody who, whose eyes are closed and shut and they have no relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, Paul said that it, to the natural mind, it's, it's nonsense. Because the things in that book are spiritually discerned. They're awakened spiritually by the birth of your spirit and the Holy Spirit taking uh, residence within you. Otherwise, it's not going to make any sense. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to see it, to understand it. You have to be willing to surrender. You have to want Him. You have to want what He's offering. And when you do, it is all opened up. So here we have the disciples. They're gathered around Jesus. They want to understand what's going on. They want to know. They don't understand. 
So they want to know. So he's going to explain it to us. In verse 13, Mark 4, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Who comes? You guys remember the picture. If you don't understand this parable, you won't understand all the parables. Who was Satan? Birds, right? You guys remember the birds swooped down? Okay, then it says... These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it become unfruitful." But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. So Jesus explains it. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I read this. Who is receiving the seed? Um, Well, everyone has an opportunity to receive the seed. And, And by way of application, it can apply to us anytime the word of God's taught, right? Whether I'm saved or not saved. But by way of interpretation, here's what I love about the Greek language. The Greek language tells us exactly what he means. So what he's talking about here in the interpretation of this text, he's talking about people who are not saved. Luke 8, 12, when you've got time, read it. It's going to say that the, that the birds of the air snatch up the seed so that they will not believe and be saved. So he tells us in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, what he's talking about in terms of the, 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 the people to whom the seed is going. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking about his experience and what's going on around him. And the people who just said he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, right? He's throwing out the, the devil by using the power of the devil. And they're, every time he turns around, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him. In fact, they're even right now trying to kill him. And so Jesus is describing, why do some people get it and some people don't? Why do some people receive the word and some the seed bounces off and the birds eat it up? So he lays it out and he gives us the understanding. So let's talk about all the pieces. Who's the sower? The sower, according to Matthew 13, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not under... Oh, I'm sorry. Matthew 13, 37. And he answered them and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Matthew. He's talking about another parable, but he gives us an explanation of the sower. Now, is it possible by way of application that we also... Well, we're supposed to, aren't we? Matthew 28. Doesn't he tell us to go into all the world, making disciples of all men? What are we supposed to do when we make disciples of men? Are we supposed to sow? Yeah, but who gives the increase all the time? Yeah, God gives the increase, right? God gives the increase. Anybody come to the Lord without God pulling them? Without God drawing them? Nobody gets to come except the Lord woo. The Lord draw. The Holy Spirit brings him. But what are we supposed to do? Sow the seed. So, in the terms of the story, 
The sower, that's the Son of Man, that's Jesus, right? He was just sowing seed. And the guys said, no, you're doing that by the power of the devil. They're rejecting the things he's teaching them. His plain, the plain things he's telling them. So the sower is the Son of Man. The seed, Matthew 13, 19. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. What did he call it in verse 19? When anyone hears what? The word of the kingdom. Well, we might say, what in the world is the word of the kingdom? Well, look at Mark 4, 14. The sower sows the word. Do we know what that is? Sower sows the word. Well, Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now we got it? That's about as plain as you can say it, right? The seed is the word of God. What does the Bible tell us? Does it, when the word of God is cast out, does it always do something? Yeah. What it does, it might convict you, it might judge you. If it bounces off and goes nowhere, you'll be judged by that word. But if you receive it, things can change. Things can change. The seed is the word of God. What's the soil? Jesus doesn't tell us, but we can see by context, can't we? The soil is the hearts of men. You're either going to receive it, or you're not going to receive it. Now let's look, at the, let's look at the individual hearts. How did the people respond? Let's look first at the hard-hearted guy, the guy on the wayside. Look at it. Mark 4.14, or I'm sorry, 4.4. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air devoured it. What did Jesus describe it as in verse 15? And these are the ones by the wayside when the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So we have a heart that resists the word of God. It bounces off and makes it easy for Satan to swoop in and snatch it away. When does our, when does it, when does our heart become hard like that? Let me tell you. I'll tell you. You won't listen. Because if your heart's hard, you're not going to listen to me. But if, you, if your heart's not hard, look, you give your heart away to so many things. Stop it. Your heart is valuable. We, we throw it out there like it's made out of iron. And it gets trampled. And it gets broke. And it gets stomped. And it gets hurt. And it gets hard. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23 that you should take care of your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. That means protect it. Don't just cast it out there. Whatever or whoever is wanting a piece of it. It says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. You're going to need it. But we grow up Everybody's done it. We're young and we, we throw that heart out. We throw that heart out after that girl or that guy or that thing. That, that's what's going to satisfy. We throw our heart out there. Yeah, I'm really into that. Only we find out, we get that. That didn't satisfy or that wasn't such a good deal. or That relationship wasn't so good. Or we go down the line and pretty soon, that heart that we're supposed to keep with all diligence has been beat up, battered, and broken And so we put this shell around it that is so hard, nothing can get in. And when the word of God is cast, 
just bounces off that shell. And what's the devil do? Takes it. He's not going to let it sit there beside you. Oh, no way. You might soften up a little later and still see it down there. So he come and take it. He's going to take that seed, run off with that seed so that you can't have it. But listen, hard hearts can be plowed up. Two scriptures specifically in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 4.3 says this, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground, that's that hard heartedness. The, the picture is a picture of the implement, the plow coming and hitting ground so hard that it climbs up out of the ground and goes on top. And he says, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. But you've got to go out and break up the ground. You've got to break up that hard-heartedness. You've got to stop looking to blame everybody else in your life for the reason why you're so hard-hearted. <coughs> it's your heart. It's in your chest. It's in your body. It's in your soul. It's in your spirit. And you're supposed to keep it with all diligence. Right? Hosea 10.12 says, Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Now we can seek Him till He comes and rains righteousness on you. That rain, that'll break up that fallow ground. That fallow ground. The hard-hearted, the Word of God can't penetrate You've got to be okay with being vulnerable. You've got to be okay with getting taken advantage of. You've got to be okay with being broke again. Look, the word of God's pretty clear. Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. And that chief cornerstone, according to Daniel's dream, that stone not made with hands is going to come and demolish every other kingdom on earth. And it's going to become itself the kingdom. The kingdom of God that he's, that he's promised, that he's talking about. And he tells us in the scripture, there's two ways for that to happen. You fall on it and be broken. Or you get judged by it and get obliterated. You're broke both ways. One way, you're broken toward healing. The other way, just destruction. Fall on him and allow him to break it. Second heart. Don't worry, I'm almost done. I know you're thinking, gosh, he's just barely getting going. Stay with me. There might be enough lunch for everybody after. We'll see. Next is shallow heart. Shallow heart. Some seed fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth. And when the sun was on it, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. When verse 16, Jesus describes it. These likewise... In the same way are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterward. When tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. I want to bring your attention to two words. These, what's that next word? Likewise. These, likewise, are just like the first ones. Meaning, they're not saved. The first group's not saved. I can absolutely prove that. And as scripture says, these likewise, in the same way, these are not saved. 
Bodeki, it says it, it took root. It began to grow. But the Bible tells us in the epistles of John, that if someone leaves from the midst of you, you say, you know, these people, they used to be believers, they used to hang out, but they, but, but they, they don't do it anymore, they left. John says, if they left you, they were never of you. For if they were of you, they would not leave. Now, I'm not saying this is the only church you can go to, but I am saying if you leave the faith, you didn't ever have it. You did not have it. Now we can argue semantics all day long. But the end result is the same. Right? The guy who walks away, he don't have it. He don't have it. These likewise, in the same way. What's the, what's the issue? They have no depth. What is he talking about? An emotional thing has occurred. This is why sometimes, sometimes I do, sometimes I have folks raise their hands, sometimes I have people come forward. Sometimes uh, uh, we do all of those things. Sometimes I'm not saying any of those things necessarily is bad. But I don't want to elicit an emotional response out of somebody and have them jump up and, and cry and come forward and say a prayer or do a thing or get dunked in some water and think that that magically somehow saved them. Jesus Christ has to be your treasure. Amen. He's it. Amen. And... We'll always say a prayer, right? Because the Bible talks about uh, allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your heart. So, so we do that. But you're not going to find the prayer anywhere in the Bible. When you go through the Bible, it's not there. Why? Because how do people believe? They just believe. They put their trust, their faith, their hope. They grabbed the hold of Jesus with both hands. And they held on for all it was worth. And when the sun came up, they didn't let go. And when life got disappointing... They didn't let go. And when things happened that they weren't so happy about, they didn't let go. Because they knew Jesus is the greatest treasure in my life. So, an emotional response, but no depth of root. The sun comes out, life gets hard, and they quit. Next we have the divided heart. The divided heart. It says, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Jesus explains it in verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Same exact word in the Greek is used here, which means these just like the others. These just like the others. So I say these, this group not saved either. They have a divided heart. They've got, they got all these other things in their life. And they've taken Jesus, the seed, and they tried to add Him in. I'm just going to add Him to my life. I've got a lot of stuff going on in life. It's good. But, but I just want Jesus to be a part. I want Him to be a part of everything else I already got going. I don't want Him to be the thing. I don't want Him to be the driving force. I just want Him to be added in. So they put Him in. And the weeds... Everything else, all the other seed, all the other stuff coming to fruit, chokes it out. It's called a divided heart. One of the things that set David apart from everyone else wasn't his sinlessness. It was that he had an undivided heart. You know what the Old Testament, what language the Old Testament uses for an undivided heart? It uses this word. You'll recognize it. Integrity. If you ever read Job, you know what we're going to hear Job say over and over again? 
Lord, you know my integrity. And sometimes people look at it and say, look, Job's trying to say, look, I'm perfect. I've done everything right. No, what Job's saying is, Lord, you know all I want is you. I have an undivided heart. I want you. But the divided heart wants everything else. And so what happens? What are the other seeds? Worldly cares, a desire for riches, a lust or desire for any other thing. And it chokes it out. Great view of it. Look in Matthew chapter 7. You have two ways spoken of. A broad way, wide, is a way that leads to destruction, right? And a narrow way. Narrow is a way that leads to eternal life. Jesus talked about four different kinds of hearts. I believe three of them are not saved. And one of them is. So when we come to the fourth one, I just want you to notice it. We come to the fourth one, it begins with two cool words. But, other. But is a word of contrast in the Greek. It means different from everything else. But, other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. Verse 20, Jesus said, these are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word. What's the next thing it says? Oh, they, something else happened. Do you get what I'm saying? They didn't just hear it and it popped off. You guys all know what it's like. I've sat down in front of my children and talked to them, and I know every word coming out of my mouth is bouncing off their forehead. <laughs> I'm talking, I get it louder, because I think if I get louder, they're going to understand. So I get a little bit louder. I can get loud. But it's still bouncing off their forehead. I can tell because of the eyes. God help them if they, if they roll them eyes. I'm going to knock them out of their head. And some of you have been kids to fathers like that. Hung on. Whack. They heard it and accepted it. I just want, real quick, I want you guys to catch all the different things spoken of about this seed in the other Gospels. In Matthew 13, 23, it says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces. So according to Matthew, he understands the word. He hears it and he understands it. According to Luke, it says, And as for the good soil, uh, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast. So according to Luke there, holding on to the word. According to Mark, verse 20, we just read it, they accept the word. Any way you want to slice it, this heart pictures the true believer. And he bears fruit. Now here's the point. There's three different types of fruit, right? 30, 60, 100. Because we're not all fruitful in the same way, nor are we ever intended to be. We're all intended to be fruitful in some way. And so in order to be fruitful in some way, we have to be real. And if we're real, we will be fruitful. Fruit happens. You don't have to try to make it happen. You don't got to try to go work it. You just got to be with Jesus, following Jesus, applying the Word of God into a healthy heart. And what happens? Fruit. You get fruitful. You're real. You're not fake. You're not something else. You're just real. 
The real believer has fruit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. Did something change? Something changed. Something has to change. Look, I'm done. They don't necessarily want to be. Each, each of the, the three fruitless hearts is influenced by a different enemy. Hard heart, the devil himself snatches a seed away. Shallow heart, the flesh counterfeits real religious feelings. And the divided heart, the things of this world. You want all the things of the world still. Jesus said you can't have both. There are the three great enemies of the Christian. The world, the flesh, and the devil. In Ephesians chapter 2, last scripture I'm going to read, and we'll sing and pray and, and, and pray that the word of God accomplishes what it's sent to do. Just listen, just listen to Ephesians 2. It's so beautiful. I could, I could read it every day. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. That's who I was once. According to the prince of the power of the air, the devil snatching up the seed, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. We all came from there. We all came from there. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. God does the work. We just got to be real. We just got to be real. You got to want Him more than all that other junk. He is everything. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We'll